pretty much knows. He pastors First Baptist Church, New Philadelphia, Ohio, and uh, and Troy is is uh, is a dear friend of mine, and um, God has done a lot in our lives together, and uh, for whatever reason, um, it's the whole way God kind of orchestrated all uh -huh. that's pretty crazy. Yep. Um, so he pastors um, where Jeff Bartell went to after uh, after Mark, and then uh, so he's now stepped in that role, and, and God's just using it in a crazy good way, and so... Uh, we just can't thank the Lord enough for him and, and what that whole ministry means to Greater Hope Baptist Church. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll uh, we'll jump right into it. All right, Lord, thank you again for today. Thank you for uh, for just being good and uh, being faithful. Lord, thank you for your man. I pray, God, that you use him this morning. I pray, God, that you're glorified through everything said and, uh, and everything done. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lee. It is uh, it's great to be with you guys. I'm I'm thrilled to be here. I'm I'm honored to be here. Um, I, I I do love your pastor and his family, and and so appreciate the invite and and just the time that we get to spend together. There's something special about the connection of churches that we do have uh, as part of the Living Faith Fellowship and just the history of of you know Brother Mark and and First Baptist Church and and I know what. He meant to this church and still means to this church. And so, you know, we shouldn't take that for granted. We shouldn't take those relationships for granted. There aren't, there aren't enough of us who, you know, who believe this book for what it is. Um, God's perfect and preserved words, and so we need to stick together. But as you know, over, over these next couple days, uh, we're going to tackle the, the subject of stewardship together. And, and, and listen, I'm well aware that when we talk about stewardship, Everyone automatically thinks that's a spiritually undercover way to talk about money, right? And, and I'll just be honest with you from the front. I am, I am going to talk about money. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about today, so I'm not going to be undercover about it at all. Uh, but this, that's not all we're going to talk about. That's just one topic we're going to cover. This topic of stewardship is so much bigger than just money because what we do with our money is just a symptom of something way deeper. Right, so did, did you know that it, the Bible in the New Testament, it, it specifically says that we are to be stewards of, of just two things, right? So you look at the, the topic of stewardship, and it's covered throughout the Bible. Uh, in 1 Timothy 3, 7, it says the bishops are to be stewards of God, and that plays out into two specific areas. And I want to show them to you as we get started here, because the Bible says, first of all, we're to be the stewards of of the mysteries of God. You find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And those verses say, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So the first thing that the, the, the Bible says for the New Testament believer, for the church that we're to be a steward of, are the mysteries of God. The mysteries of God are found in the words of God. We're to know what the Word of God says for us today as the church and, and, and what it means to us. There's a second thing that the Bible says that we're to be the stewards of, and that's the manifold grace of God. It's 1 Timothy chapter 4. Or I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through and 11. It says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as a, of the ability which God giveth, 
that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom we praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, we're to be stewards of the mysteries of God found in the Word of God. We're to be stewards of the grace of God. And those things form the basis of everything else, of how that plays out and how that looks practically in our life. You know, a steward is just a manager of what God's given us, what God has entrusted us with, and that is what he has entrusted us with. He has entrusted us with his word, and he's entrusted us with his grace. And so we're to manage and use those gifts for his glory. So how we view his word, you need to, you need to get this from the very beginning as we set this, the foundation for today. How you view God's word and how you view God's grace to you affects everything in your life. It sets the path for how you live your life. And it plays out in a number of different fronts in your life. And so that's what I want to look at over, over these next, next three days. So we're going to look at the stewardship of finances today. We are going to look at that. But, but, but seriously, you are going to see that it goes much deeper than just finances. We're going to talk about biblical giving in general, and, and that gets to our life. It's way deeper than just money. The truth is, if God has your life, then he has your pocketbook. So the, the issue is a deep and important one. Then we're going to come back tonight, and we're going to talk about the stewardship of our family. So we're going to start with the finances. We're going to come back tonight. We're going to talk about the stewardship of our family. Obviously, we're going to be looking at husbands and fathers in that sermon, but not only them. There's, there's applicability for everybody uh, in that sermon. And then we're going to close out the conference Monday night and Tuesday night talking about the stewardship of our faith. So we're going to go from finances to family to faith. And we're going to see two examples. On Monday night, we're going to see the stewardship of faith to failure. And we're going to get an example of what not to do uh, from the children of Israel. And then on, on Tuesday night, we're going to close out by, by looking how to, how to steward our faith to finish. To finish for God's glory. And so we're going to see both examples of that. And those three areas, our finances, our, our family, and our faith, they, they apply so well to the overall topic of stewardship because how we lead and how we manage those three areas, they tell us what we believe about God's word and what we think about God's grace. So, so it's, it's you've got you to understand it from the top down. Because how you live your life, how you lead your family, how you manage your finances, how you manage your walk of faith, it's all based upon what you think of God's word, what you believe God's word says, what it says for you, and what you think God's grace did for you. And if you have a low view of God's word, and if you have a low view of God's grace, then you're going to steward accordingly. But if you have a high view of those things, then God's going to have your life. You see, it's one thing to say that you love God's word. And that you're truly thankful for God's grace. We sang about it this morning. And it's one thing to sing about it, but words are cheap. And how you view and live in those areas, that, that says what you really believe. And like I said, we're going to start out this morning talking about giving. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And, and, and in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul takes some extended time to focus on this issue of giving. And he takes it the time and space and, and gives it the space in God's word because it's important. In fact, it is one of the key indicators of, of, of spiritual maturity. 
or the level of, of Christian maturity within an individual. And I, and I don't mean that only with respect to strict obedience, but in full understanding of the issue. You see, it's possible to be obedient and that you're a giver of your finances and still have the wrong view of giving or have a wrong view of money and possessions of your time, your talent, and your treasure. So I want to lay a foundation this morning that I think will serve us well from where we're going to go from here on this, this important topic of stewardship. And in this foundational message, we're going to see the balance of joyful giving and how it provides balance to your life and how it brings joy. And I'll explain that as we move through this sermon. But, but there's no doubt that, 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 second, that chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians give us the most extended and complete section of biblical giving that we find in the New Testament. And it gives us everything we need to know about how we're to view it in a God-honoring way. But, but let me, because let me say this from the beginning. New Testament, God-honoring giving isn't just about giving a tithe. In fact, the tithe is actually something you don't see in Paul's writings. Now, understand that doesn't make it invalid for us today as a principle. It is valid for us because it's based on the biblical principle of the first fruits. There's a biblical principle of the first fruits that predates the law. So a lot of people will say, well, the tithe is, was just something under the law, and we're not under the law anymore. Yeah, we're not under the law anymore, but what you don't understand is the tithe predates the law. It goes back, actually, to, to begins in Genesis chapter 4 with Abel. Genesis 4.4 4 says, And Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. You see, it's a principle of the first fruits. It was an established principle by the time of Abraham, again, well before the law. Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20 says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. So giving an offering to the Lord through a tithe, it both predates and extends beyond the law. But with everything in the New Testament economy, it falls under grace. And so listen, you have to understand this. If you really want to understand what biblical giving is all about, you have to understand this next sentence. It falls under grace, therefore has the potential to be used by God in amazing ways in your life. Just by being obedient to what he has us to do. So as we begin, I need you to understand and I think I put this on your outline sheet. The biblical giving for the church-age believer doesn't just equal the tithe. Not even close. It's way more encompassing that. And, and I know when you hear that, when you hear me say that biblical giving is more encompassing than a tithe, you, 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 you heard that I'm going to say that you, know, you should give more than 10% of your income. And you heard that because you have a wrong view of giving. Because the truth is, I'm going to ask you for way more than 10%. And I'm not going to ask you for a dime. Because I know that if God has your heart on the issue of biblical giving, then he's going to take care of those dimes. See, when it comes to the stewardship of our finances, we shouldn't have to be guilt-tripped into, into giving. But we should take the Bible for what it says. And we should be obedient to it. So let's see what the Bible has to say. And we're going to start out this morning covering the first six verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So follow along with me. 
as I read, and then when I finish this, we'll pray, and then we'll get into our study. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, More of our brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord, and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we're thankful to be in your house today, and, and we're thankful that the, the, uh, of, the, of the cross that we sang about just a little bit ago, and, and it's why we're here. Lord, because, because you've given so much to us, and, and Lord, it's, it's, it's up, uh, dependent upon us to look to you and, and to be faithful to your word, to be faithful to the grace that you've given us as, as we look to, to be obedient to you with our lives and, and how we steward them. And so, Lord, I just pray that you speak to each and every heart here this morning. I pray that you use your word as only you can. Uh, to, to mold us more into your image. I pray that you move me out of the way and, and speak boldly and clearly um, as only you can. And, and Lord, I pray that everything that is said is true to your word and you're honored and, and glorified with this time we have together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we get into the weeds of our study, let me give you the backdrop of, of what's happening here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So obviously this is you know, Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians. The first one was one of big rebuke. The second one comes back. They had gotten some things right, but, but they're still dealing with a few things. And, and so he's, he's been talking about a number of topics through the first seven chapters. And, and when he gets to chapter 8, he changes topics and he begins taking, talking about this giving, a, a specific giving project that the churches of Macedonia were involved with. And, and just to give you a frame of reference, Corinth was located in, in what would be modern-day southern Greece. All right, so if you, if you know the map, southern Greece is where Corinth is located. The Macedonian churches would have been in modern-day northern Greece. So those would have been, like, that include the cities of Philippi, Thessalonica. So we know those books, the Philippians and Th Thessalonians. And this giving project that Paul is referring to, it was, a, it was a missions project to help the poor saints in Jerusalem. And they were dealing with persecution and great famine, and Paul was assisting them in this situation, and he, and he knew it was what the body of Christ was supposed to do, to give and to help in this. But Paul also saw the Gentiles as debtors to the Jews, and these were some, some, some Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, and, and this was a way to pay the debt. We see this, him talk about it in Romans chapter 15, verses 25 through 28. Paul says, but now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia, that's also in Greece, to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily for debtors, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I perform this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. You see, the Gentiles had received the Gospels from the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. And, and, and they owed them, so to speak, for that. And, and Paul was reminding the church of Corinth here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 
of this great opportunity to help by using the example of those Macedonian churches. And what we see through the Macedonian churches is the foundation we need to really understand biblical giving and what the stewardship of our finances is all about. And in doing so, we are going to see that there is a perfect balance and joy that comes from giving that God has designed in only a way that he can. And the first aspect that we see with the churches of Macedonia, and the first thing that we need to understand when it comes to biblical giving is that they had a spiritual perspective on giving. They had a spiritual perspective on giving. Look at verses 1 and 2 again, and I'll explain what I mean. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. All right, now first of all, let me give you a, a very quick King James English lesson. When Paul says, we do you to wit, that's just an old English way of saying we want you to know. Right? We don't, we don't use wit much anymore in, in modern day English, but he's just saying we want you to know. There's some stuff Paul wanted the Corinthians to know about the Macedonian churches, and it involved their spiritual perspective on giving. And I'm telling you, this is key, because I find that most Christians today, at least in New Philadelphia, Ohio, and listen, I do mean most, do not understand how to give properly. There are many believers that are giving for wrong reasons, giving in wrong ways, or not giving at all. And even beyond that, many believers don't understand what they are actually doing through the act of giving. So let me try to illustrate this for you. I'm going to do it by asking you a question. Now, I don't want you to answer out loud. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. Um, but but I, I do want you to answer internally. And here's the question. When you think about coming to church on a Sunday, on a Wednesday, whatever it might be, what aspects of that do you look forward to the most? Like when you come to church, what, what do you look forward to most? Hopefully, you know, many of you think of the sermon. I mean, if not, it's fine. Just don't tell me. Don't tell Lee. We'll just pretend like you do. Um, you know, I'm sure that many people think of the, the time of praise and worship, right? It was a great time this morning, an uplifting encouragement you get. I mean, I was, I was, I was encouraged and, 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 man, brought to tears with that last song just thinking about, you know, what God has done for us. You know, for some of you, it might be the fellowship and seeing other brothers, sisters in Christ. And it's always one of the great things about walking in church and just seeing, seeing the people that you, you live life with and that you love. And by the way, those are all right answers. You should look forward to those aspects of church. I, I certainly do. But I want you to think about this for just a second. Because for the most part, all those things involve what you receive. Right? What we receive as we hear the preaching of the word, what we receive from the fellowship, what we receive, you know, in, 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 in this, our spirit as we worship. And, it, and, and it's, it's what we get from God. So how many of you look just as forward to the things that you can give? How many of you can't wait to drop your offering in the offering plate? Did you know that doing that is just as big an act of worship as singing worship songs is? It is because it gets to your heart and what you believe 
about what God's Word says and the grace that God has shown you, the two things we're to be stewards of? Or how many of you just count, you know, can't wait to you know, wash the kids or just help serve in some way? How many of you are praying to have an opportunity to encourage another brother or sister in Christ who needs it when you get here on Sunday? You see, giving is an attribute of God. For God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. And the Macedonians understood this and they believed it. And it gave them a spiritual perspective in their finances. And what I mean by that is that they understood that biblical giving always originates with the grace of God. That's what it says in, in, in verses 1 and 2 back there. The, the, to wit, the, uh, uh, the grace of God bestowed upon the, bestowed upon the churches. And so they understand that you cannot separate God's word and God's grace from even our finances. Amen. Paul said in verse 1 that their ability to give was based on the grace that God bestowed on them or gave to them. And it was because they viewed their life from a spiritual perspective instead of an earthly one. Their eyes were set and focused on above, not on the earth, right? It's Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If you then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth. And it's Matthew 6, 33 living. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, which are just the necessities of life, which is defined above, shall be added unto you. Listen, I like the way the wisest man in the Bible, Solomon, put it. In Proverbs 15, 24, he said, The way of life is above to the wise that he may depart from hell beneath. And if hell is beneath, well, that means heaven is above. And the way of the, if, you're, if you want to be wise, the way of life is to think heavenly with a spiritual perspective. And so it's the concept of viewing life from the basis of God's grace and not from anything else. That's how you have a, a spiritual perspective on life and on giving. Because when you understand what God has done for you, and you view your life through that lens, then giving is easy. And it gets to our motive, and it gets to our motivation. So let me ask you, if you give, if you give of your time, if you give of your talents, if you give of your treasure, why? Why do you do it? What are the reasons behind what you give and why you give? Because there are a lot of reasons why people give. Some give out of duty, just sheer obedience to God because that's what the Bible says. And listen, that's good. The Bible does say it. It's better to obey than sacrifice. It's, it's a, that's a good thing. Some give for reward. They think if I give that God will give back to me. That's actually true. There's a biblical principle. Luke 6.38 says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over. Shall men give into your bosom for the same measure that ye meet with all shall be measured to you again? There is a biblical principle that if we give, God will give back to us. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean financial prosperity. <laughs> we're, now, we're not promised any of that. Any version of a prosperity gospel is heresy. There is the law, though, of sowing and reaping. In the context of giving, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6, Paul says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly, shall reap also sparingly, but he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. You see, it's just that our rewards, what we reap, 
today in this dispensation is spiritual and not physical. Again, a, a prosperity gospel focuses on the physical. It's more of a kingdom of heaven focus, which isn't for us, and it isn't for today. It's just dealing the promises that God blessed to Israel. But that's another topic. So some give out of duty. Some give for reward. Others give for just, you know, selfish, worldly reasons, maybe, you know, for a tax write-off or, you know, because they want to have a reputation for giving. And listen, those things in and of themselves are fine. It's fine to have a reputation of giving. That's a good thing. Use all the, you know, benefits the government allows us. I, nothing wrong with that. But what I'm trying to get at is your motive or your reason why. And if your motive is selfish, then you don't have the right spiritual perspective on giving. Because giving shouldn't be about what you can get. God's great to give us back. You know, we can never outgive God. And he's great in that way. And if you get something back, praise the Lord. But that's not why you, why you should give. Even Luke 6.38, 2 Corinthians 9.6 should be balanced by Acts 20.35 that says, I've showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, these Macedonians in our passage this morning gave because their hearts were moved by the grace of God. And that really is to be our primary motive in, in all that we give, no matter what it is. God's grace and the goodness that God has shown to you and me. Because listen, if God's not done anything for you, then by all means, don't give him a penny. Don't give him a second of your time. But if he has, then pour it all out according to the measure you've received. That is always the argument of Scripture. In the New Testament, giving is never legislated upon us. It's not laid on us as a duty that we have to do in order to gain entrance into heaven or acceptance with God. It's given to us rather as a privilege that we can partake of to express the gratitude of our hearts for the grace that God has already given us. Has he given you anything? Okay, well, if he has, then answer accordingly. That's having a spiritual perspective. And did you see what Paul said in verse 2? They had this spiritual perspective even in the midst of the worst possible scenario. It says, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. Yeah. You see, they didn't give in the midst of bounty. They didn't give in the midst of life being easy. And this gives us a couple principles related to having a spiritual perspective on giving. And, and, and first, uh, it, it, the spiritual perspective on, on giving doesn't consider external circumstances. It doesn't consider external circumstances. The Bible says the Macedonians gave while they were in a great trial of affliction. And we know that from various places in the Bible that these churches, the Thessalonians, the Philippians, they faced some great persecution. And for example, when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he starts off his first letter by acknowledging the situation they were in. In verse, chapter 1 and verse 6, he said, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the words in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. You see, they had external circumstances that would make most people focus on themselves. But they didn't. So that was the first principle. But then second, a spiritual perspective on giving doesn't, consider internal concerns 
It doesn't consider internal concerns because not only were they being persecuted from the outside, they themselves were in deep poverty. And you would think that that would cause some internal concerns when it comes to giving. How, how can I give when I'm in deep poverty myself? And listen, that's not hyperbolic language. They were truly in deep poverty. It was rock bottom, destitution. The, the word describes a beggar who has absolutely nothing and no hope of getting anything. But listen, that didn't stop them because of grace. Because of the grace that God has shown them, and we won't get there, but you see that in great detail in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, that in spite of their deep poverty, they were rich because grace makes all of us who accept it rich in eternal things. But the point here is that their external circumstances and their internal concerns didn't hinder them from giving. In fact, they gave joyfully and liberally. So in verse 2, we see one of those biblical equations that make no sense apart from faith. You see a few of these in Scripture, and, and I always try to keep track of them. But, but there's a biblical equation here that makes no sense apart from faith. And this is the, your faith-based giving equation. And it's, you know, great affliction plus deep poverty. When you multiply it by grace, somehow equals abundant joy and riches of liberality. Like, make sense of that apart from faith. Make sense of that apart from God intervening and God's grace. God's some kind of mathematician. But that's exactly how they viewed it. And when you have a spiritual perspective, it all works out. And God is honored. And he's honored when you're giving based upon the grace he has given you. And listen, that, that is the key. Because when you have a spiritual perspective on life, on everything, your goal is to glorify him, your goal is to honor him through giving and not just receiving. And yet, we mess this up all the time. Listen, a selfish perspective in place of a spiritual perspective is so per pervasive, particularly in this day and age that we live and our culture today. So let me try to illustrate this for you. Right, sometimes in church, We'll talk about the favor of God, of God favoring us. And listen, I, I get it. God loves us more than we could ever imagine, certainly more than we deserve. And we talk about, and sometimes we'll pray for, we'll even sing about the favor of God. The only problem with that is the Bible never says, not one time, that we're favored. Or that we should be seeking his favor. Now stay with me. I'll prove it to you. Because the favor of God is biblical. You just have to understand the context. See, the word favor is found 70 times in the Bible. So it's actually, it's actually there a lot. 70 times in the Bible. It's found one time after Acts chapter 7. And that's in Acts 25. The word is never found, not once, in any Pauline epistle. And of all 70 references, not one of them refers to a New Testament church or a New Testament believer. Not one. They're all specific to Israel. So if you are seeking and asking for God's favor, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but it's not biblical. But listen, it doesn't matter because we get something better. It's what was bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. It's grace. 
God shows us grace. You see, God showed Israel favor that is physically based. We get grace. It's spiritually based. And I'm telling you, our, our deal's better. And you might not think it's a big deal. And maybe it's not. Maybe I'm making too big a deal of it. But I point this out because it gets to our perspective on life and therefore, ultimately, our perspective on giving. Because when you really understand grace, you understand that it's not just for you. And you understand that it's been given to you so that you can be a conduit of God's grace. And it goes in you and comes out of you. You are to be a giver. That's different than favor. Favor stops with you. Favor stops with the individual. You can't share favor biblically, but you can share grace. And when our perspective is selfish instead of spiritual, then favor is what we really want, if we're honest. Whether we articulate it that way or not, we want to receive blessings from the Lord, but then not have to give. But listen, grace does not allow that. Because ultimately, God's grace to you is so that God can get glory through you. Let me show it to you. You can see it multiple places, but let me show you in the life of Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Paul says, Wherefore, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me, who am the, the less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given. And why, Paul? Why was this grace given to you? That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Christ, Jesus Christ. So do you see the beautiful picture? God gives us grace so that he will get glory as we share that grace with others. Amen. This grace was given that I should preach. It wasn't given just to stay with him. But if you're just taking his grace and you're happy with that blessing yourself, how does God get glory out of that? Listen, that is craving for favor for ourselves. No, we're to share the blessing of God with others. So we are to employ his grace, put it to work in our lives so that we can extend his glory. That's Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. We, we quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 all the time, right? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Why? For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see, that's what our life is about. Even for salvation, it's by God's grace. As we place our faith in God's grace, and then we are to live it out as we share it with the world. This is the, the foundation of all giving so that he gets glory. You see the same principle, and we just won't take the time to go there. You see the same principle in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, right? That, that, Talks about how, how we've been bought with a price, right? So we're not our own. It's God's grace on our life. So what are we supposed to do with it then? As an individual, as a church, are we just to enjoy the blessing and the favor of God? No. It goes on to say, therefore, because he's shown us this grace, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. We are to give it out. We are to get to work and glorify God, and we do that by sharing and giving based on the grace he's given us. Again, if he's never shown you grace, don't give him anything. But if he has, 
you better get to giving. That's why he's done it. So that you can be a giver. So I'll say it one more time, and I put this on your outline sheet. We need to employ God's grace, not just enjoy. You see, we want to enjoy the grace of God. That's not God's plan. We're to employ. We're to put it to work so that we can extend God's glory. And if we just keep it, and the grace that he's shown us and the blessing he's given us, if we just keep it for ourselves and, and we even say, say, thank you, Lord, God's not getting the glory that he deserves because he was a giver so that we can be givers. But when we do that, when we employ God's grace in order to extend his glory, and we're going to have a spiritual perspective on life and on giving that glorifies him and the stewardship of our finances, that's just going to take care of itself. You see, those Macedonian churches had some stuff figured out. They had a spiritual perspective on giving. But then, second, they also had, and we also need, a supernatural passion for giving. Look about, back at verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 8. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. You see, this was something they wanted to be involved with so much that they allowed the Lord to work through them in, in, in what is a supernatural way. And Paul says this was something that he personally witnessed. He said, I bear record. He's like, I'm not just making this up. That they were willing to give even beyond their power in a supernatural way, or, or maybe I should say with a supernatural willingness. Because to get to that place, God has to have had worked in your life. You don't just get there on your own. And most people don't get there on day one of being a Christian either. And this gets to sacrificial giving. See, their giving was beyond what could or would have been expected of such poor Christians. In fact, their giving would have been a contradiction to their condition. Because they gave out a deep poverty and a great trial of affliction. Times were difficult. Life was difficult. They had very little. They were extremely poor. A contradiction to their condition when compared with the generosity and overflowing abundance of their liberality. With no regard for themselves. With no regard for their future needs. Compelled by concern and care and love and compassion and understanding of the grace of God that had been bestowed upon them. And so, listen, they were glad to put themselves in further dependence upon the Lord. They believed the promises of Matthew chapter 6. They believed it, that God was going to take care of them. They held him to his word. And, you know, the, the promise that, speaking of one of those Macedonian churches, the promise that Paul gave to the Philippians in Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need Amen. according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, I would like to point out that that verse doesn't say God will supply all your needs, plural. It's singular. You can do with that what you want. But they believed it. They believed what Jesus said in Matthew 6 and, and that, you know, if he clothed the grass of the field and fed the fowls of the air, that he was going to take care of them. 
And it was in that attitude that they gave like the widow in Mark 12, generously, sacrificially, Mark 12, verses 41 through 44. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in their abundance, but she... But, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. And, and listen, that, that gets to just real giving. It doesn't have anything to do with amounts. It doesn't have anything to do with percentages. It has to do with your heart. And listen, please, please don't hear this as me trying to put, put a guilt trip on anybody. I promise. Nobody's asking for all of your money. All I'm asking is, is what is it that you love? Where does your passion reside? Where, what are you compassionate for? What do you understand about God's grace? And the heart of these Macedonians was willing to trust the Lord, follow his leading, even with their limited finances, because, again, it, it allowed them to place themselves in deeper dependence upon the Lord, and he had to come through for him. And listen, he, he always will. They had a supernatural passion to minister to others in need. In fact, in verse 4, Paul, they had to beg Paul to take their gift. He knew the, the situation they were in. He, he, he didn't even really want to take it from them, but the Bible says they prayed or begged with much entreaty. It means to implore. And the reason why is because they wanted to minister to the saints. They didn't, they didn't want to be held out of that. They wanted to be in fellowship with everyone as, that was helping, and they counted it as a privilege. And they're an example to not only the Corinthians, but to us as well. To be growing just to the point of trusting the Lord and, and asking the Lord to take us to that level. And listen, I get it. Some of you out there are thinking, listen, you must be out of your mind. <laughs> like, what you're saying is stupid. And I promise you, I'm not out of my mind. I mean, I'll take stupid. I'm, that, that's a pretty good description of me, but... But I promise I'm just trying to give you what the Bible has to say on this topic. And I know that we're all in different places in our personal walk with God. We're at various levels of spiritual maturity. And it's a process. I'm not pretending like you just get to a Macedonian level of giving overnight. It takes growth. Certainly culture is different today. Times are different. Challenges for believers are different. And again, nobody's asking you to sell your house. Give all your savings to the Lord. Nobody's asking you to grow broke. It's just not about any of that. It's about having a heart. It's not about amounts and percentages. God doesn't care. Listen, he owns it all anyway. It's not like God needs your money. Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I'd not tell thee, for the world is mine. And the fullness thereof. That's what God has to say. But listen, he does want us to see that it's his and not ours. And this goes back to perspective. And, you know, many times we just have the perspective, okay, I'm going to give him, I'm going to give God, I, I have money or whatever. I'm going to give God 10%. I'm going to give God, you know, a week, a, a day out of the week. I'm going to give him an hour, whatever. And this 90%, the rest of the week, all that, that's for me. <laughs> I'm going to do with that what I want. I'm going to manage that how I want. And that's just the wrong perspective. It's all his. It's all his. 
And we are to manage it. We are to steward as he leads. And that brings us to the last principle of biblical giving that we learn from these Macedonian churches. And that is they had a selfless priority in giving, a selfless priority. And this is really the key because it means they gave of themselves first. And that's what stewardship is all about. Look back at 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 5. And this they did, not as we hoped, but listen, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus as, as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. So in other words, it was total dedication. You see, some people are willing to only give an offering, but they gave of themselves. Listen, when we give of ourselves, it's to be first. They did it first. That's what verse 5 says, meaning giving themselves away was the priority. And listen, this is the supreme act of worship right here. It's the supreme act of worship when you give yourself. That is what Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. And this gets to the real definition of worship. And it's true that we worship on Sunday, and God is pleased with that, and we worship when we sing and praise Him, and God is pleased with that. But listen to me. We worship most and most importantly when we give ourselves as the offering. We offer ourselves all that we have, all that we are, all that we ever hope to be unconditionally and unreservedly to Him. That's presenting your body as a living sacrifice. In other words, we're to lay ourselves on the altar and say, God, I give it all up. Everything I am, everything I have, everything I hope, it's yours. This is the picture we see in Genesis 22 when Abraham is asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. Where, you know, not coincidentally, we get the first mention of the word worship in the Bible. But listen, this is true worship because once you give yourself as a sacrifice and all that you are as a sacrifice, everything else follows. And you do it based upon what God's word means to you and an understanding of what God did for you, the grace that he showed you. And so you lay it down you say, I'm yours, Lord. I'm all yours. I'm completely yours. Everything I possess is yours. It's not like 10% yours and 90% is mine. No, it's all yours. I'm yours. And when you've done that, you're worshiping him. And you know it's worship when it comes with a sacrifice. But here's my problem. I don't know about you, but I find in my life it's not a one-time deal. It seems like I no sooner put myself on the altar before I decide to crawl right back off. And if you're like me, we do it because we struggle with verse 2 of Romans 12. Because you cannot give yourself to the Lord first and be conformed to this world. You can't be sucked up in the materialistic realm and do this. You can't be consumed with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and do this. You have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a whole different way to look at life. You have to think of it in, in, in a heavenly way, in another worldly way. 
You have to put on the mind of Christ. That's what Romans 12, 2 says. And set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. It goes back to that spiritual perspective. But when you do, listen to me, you are able to prove with your life that God's will is good and it is perfect and it's acceptable and you're able to share that grace with others and God gets glory through it, through the total sacrifice of yourself. And listen, according to 1 Peter 2, we're a royal priesthood offering up holy sacrifices, of which we're the first. And like I said, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. That's why Paul told the Corinthians in verse 6 that Titus was going to remind them to keep giving. That's what verse 6 is talking about. It's something they had started a year earlier, but for some reason it had tapered off. They crawled off the altar. Paul was telling them it was time to get back on. It's time to be selfless instead of selfish. It's time to give ourselves to the Lord and finish what we started. And listen, Jesus made this same point in his response to, to whether people, you know, should pay taxes or not. You remember that time where the Pharisees are trying to tempt him? It's found in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But I want to show you in Matthew 22, and then we're going to be finished. But Matthew 22, starting in verse 19. Jesus says, show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, whose is the image and superscription? And they say unto him, Caesar's. And saith unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which are God's. And that's a cool story, and there's some cool principles in there. You know, it just shows how smart and awesome Jesus is. But, but I want you to pay attention to the words that he used. He asked whose image was on that penny. And of course it was Caesar's. And I led him to say, Render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. But here's the thing. It gets to the bottom line issue of stewardship, and it gets to the bottom line issue of, of, of our life and, and what we think about, what we own, and what we manage and how we manage. Because according to Jesus, whoever's image something bears, that's who it belongs to. And Christian, let me ask you, as a son of God, do you know whose image you bear? Romans 8, 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Colossians 3, 10 says, And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So I say, Render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And if you're a Christian... And you belong to him. You hold his image. What are you doing with it? You've been bought with the price. So give your whole self, your whole life to him in selfless priority. That's what he wants. And that's what matters most. Because when you give that, everything else will follow. Everything else will take care of itself. And while it may seem counter counterintuitive, you will experience the most joy you've ever had in your life. As you give yourself away, God has a way of giving back and, and bringing abundance of joy. That's what the Macedonians experienced. That's what it says. Managing your money, managing your time to your own selfish desires, I promise you will never do that. It'll never bring you the joy that God can and it's balanced across all areas of your life. I told you in the introduction that there's, there's a balance in the joy that God gives. And I, and I told you I'd explain that as it went on. I haven't really explained it to you. But let me, let, me, let me explain it for you now. 
Because with the example we just saw from the churches of Macedonia gives that example. Because it gives us the right upward view of God, the right outward view of others, and the right inward view of ourselves. You see, the spiritual perspective is having the right view of God and the grace of God in our life. His grace should be our sole motivation for how we view life in, in a giving way. And this, having a supernatural passion is the right view of others. And our participation in ministry and how we're to give away the grace that we've been given and not let it stop with us. And again, I'm talking about everything, not just finances. And then the selfless priority, that's the right view of ourselves. Because we aren't to think of ourselves. We're to provide our bodies a living sacrifice. And we're to give all of ourselves to the one who bought us with his blood, the one whose image we bear. And when those are all practiced together, the result is true, abundant joy. And to me, it's the most incredible statement of the entire passage. They had an abundance of joy in spite of their trials and deep poverty. But that's what joy is. And it's what this life produces. You know, sometimes we use the silly acronym, you know, Jesus, others, you, you know, for, to, to, in relation to joy. But that's what we just looked at, the right view of Jesus, the right view of others, the right view of yourself. And what's sad is some of the richest people in the world are some of the same people that have the least amount of joy in their life. Because joy only comes through truly giving your life to the joy giver. So let me ask you, how are you stewarding? your life? How, what do you think of God's word? What do you think of God's grace? Because that will prove what you think of yourself in light of God and who holds the priority position in your life. So let's give that position to the one whose image we bear. Lee? So, um, Let's do this. Let's, man, maybe, maybe we just take a minute. Let's uh, still our hearts just for a minute. Maybe where you're at, uh, maybe bow your head, close your eyes, get serious about just for a minute. And, uh, you know, I, I can't help but think um, nothing happens. We don't get sick, we don't go on vacation. We're here every Sunday. We got 52 Sundays that we're all going to be here together and we're all going to hear a message. We're going to have God deal our hearts. And so you've got 52. If you're here for every one of them, we'll just, just say you don't make seven of them. You've got 45. Sick. Vacation. You got 45 weeks. A lot of us are rotating in and out, children's church, nursery, doing various things. Man, it sure would be a shame not to steward what you heard this morning. Say, man, it's if you've been around here any length of time, you know nobody's. Nobody's nickel and diming you. Nobody's chasing you down for money. That's, that's not what we're about. It's not what we do. We expect you to be a good steward. And we expect you to do what you're
you're supposed to do. Now, now not everybody does that. But the, the stewardship is not in what you give in terms of monetary, monetary ability. It's your life. And, and Troy, man, dude, there is an overwhelming amount of joy that comes out of giving your life. And then in turn, when somebody asks for, when somebody asks and says, hey, it's time to give, man, it, it's not a begrudging thing in your heart because you already gave, like you've already given your life. It's not hard. Oh, okay, well, we'll do this. Got to give to the stewardship card. Well, we'll do this. We're going to give every week. All right, well, let's do it. No, no big deal. But it does have to come from a heart that has given themselves to the Lord. I tell you story after story of me and Jordan just trusting the Lord. Not having, not having a whole lot of money. I've been doing this in, in this church for 10 years. And, and the better part of it, you know, God has been really, really good to us in terms of just taking care of us because we just decided, you know what, we're, we're going to give it, give, give everything we got to the Lord. Maybe today, I'm going to pray, maybe today you want to just take some time where you are, maybe you'll come to the altar, whatever you want to do. We'll, we'll get still before the Lord just for a minute. And, and you got something you need, you say, I just don't feel the same way as he's talking. It was what he was talking about this morning. Well, that's something you and the Lord need to work out. And you don't get to make deals with God that aren't biblical and say that you made a deal with the Lord. Well, the Lord just knows how I am. The Lord don't care how you are. He wants to change how you are. He don't care that you don't like to give. He don't care that you like to buy that you like to buy 70, 80 dollars worth of coffees a week and and you won't throw God a 20. Or that you'll go and spend a hundred and hundred bucks at a restaurant and, and then we come in here and and we won't give to the Lord. It's a shame. It's truly a shame. And so we need to we need to make sure we got our priorities right. So maybe this morning, maybe this morning you just, you get serious. You get serious about this thing. God, I need you to work in my life. I want to honor you. I want to glorify you. So I'm going to pray for you. Brother Daniel, we're going to let him sing a verse. Someone's already made their way to the altar. If you're in here and you're lost, you need to be saved. Man, there's, I would love to take a Bible and show you what it means to come to faith in Jesus Christ. You're a lady, you need to be saved. Man, there's no better place. There's plenty of people, plenty of women around here can take a Bible and show you how to come to faith in Christ. So you need to get saved. Man, if you'll get out of your seat, maybe after service, you say, do you want to come talk to me? You want to, you want to find somebody? Man, do that. But let's get serious about what we need to do this morning, okay? I'm going to pray for you. You want to come? You come. You don't. You want to do what you got to do in your pew? That's fine, too. Uh, Brother Daniel's going to sing a verse. So whatever you plan on doing, let's, let's do it uh, with the allotted time that we have. All right? Father, we love you. Um,
God, we, we're grateful for the man of God uh, that preached the word of God. And, and Lord, it's true. God is so true. It's so right. God, I, I've had, I've, I believed it. But, but I'm on the other side of a lot of experiences now. And it would be no less true if I hadn't had all those experiences. If I hadn't have been through so many times where checks came in the mail and Lord just things happened and, and money showed up when we needed it. Lord, I, Lord, if I hadn't had that happen, it'd still be true. But Lord, I'm grateful. Lord, you proved yourself time and time again. Lord, I, I pray maybe somebody in here needs to needs to just finally step out and trust you and say, all right, I'm done. I'm going to trust you with my life, which which is my bank account too. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you use this time for your glory and you be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been keeping Jesus at a distance, afraid to let him get too close. I've been living as if he couldn't see them both. Close enough to feel the warmth from the fire. Far enough away for me to hide. But I'm tired of walking a wire between the darkness and the light. No more Jesus at a distance. No more putting you away. I don't want to settle for a back road Some Sunday morning faith So I'm holding nothing back now There's nothing you don't see No more Jesus at a distance Can change every part of me Sean, what won't you pray for us? did what you needed to do this morning and if you didn't again if you need to get saved man I'd, I'd love to show you what that means there's you know you're a woman you don't talk to talk to me I, I can point you in the right direction um, so um, be back here tonight at five o'clock five o'clock tonight 
Um, we, uh, we're going to do it all over again. And then uh, Sunday night, I mean, Monday night at 7 o'clock, Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, eat before church. And, uh, man, we're just going to have a great time together. And uh, how many of you just really enjoyed Brother Troy this morning? Amen? Amen. Dude, dude is, I'm really grateful for him. Uh, I'm really grateful for how he studies and puts time in. And, uh, man, uh, yeah, that whole deal blessed my heart this morning. And because uh, it is, it comes from me from when I hear this stuff. I mean, like I'm on the other side now, uh, you know, a long time. And I've got a lot of experiences to stack up against all, all, the, all the scripture. And it is true. Uh, now, if I didn't have all those experiences, it'd still be true. But I've lived long enough to prove all of it true. Like, I get way more joy in giving stuff away now than I, I do getting. And uh, so it's just a, it's a big deal. And so make sure you're back here tonight and uh, 5 o'clock. We'll have a great time. I love you. I hope you're careful. And uh, make sure you shake hands with somebody. Tell me glad to see them. I'll see you tonight.